Hi, this is Teresa Amabile. And this is Steve Kramer. And you're listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tanvi Nasir, welcoming you to another edition of my podcast, Leadership Biz Cafe. On today's show, I'm delighted to welcome Teresa Mabile and Stephen Kramer. Teresa is the Edsel Bryant Ford Professor of Business Administration and a Director of Research at Harvard Business School. Her studies focus on how everyday life inside organizations can influence people and their performance with a particular focus on creativity, innovation, and productivity. Stephen is a developmental psychologist who has co-authored a number of articles in such leading publications as the Harvard Business Review, Leadership Quarterly, and the New York Times. Stephen's current research interests include adult development, the meaning of work and human life, and the subjective experience of everyday events inside organizations. Together, they've written a new book called The Progress Principle, Using Small Wins to Ignite Joy, Engagement, and Creativity at Work, a book which looks at how inner work life impacts performance and what leaders can do to fuel their employees' productivity and sense of purpose. So, Teresa and Stephen, I'd like to welcome you both to the show. Great to be here, Tanvir. Thanks, Tanvir. Good to be here. Now, before we start discussing uh, some of the research findings you share in your book, I have to tell you both how much I enjoyed reading The Progress Principle in part because of how many of the themes in your book mirror the ideas I've been writing about on my blog. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get both of you on my show, because I know my readers will also enjoy this book, uh, and hopefully take as many notes as I did while reading it. Well, thanks, Tanvir. In fact, uh, I think Steve was the, the first of the two of us to, to read your blog. Steve, you want to say something about your reaction, what you said to me as soon as you had looked at it? When I first looked at it, I, I said, oh, this is just great stuff. We need to start paying attention to this. And when we got invited to uh, be on uh, your show, we, we were just really pleased. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And I think my listeners are really going to enjoy this discussion about your research uh, and the discoveries you share about how leaders can create a more productive and effective workplace. Great. Now, you mentioned in your book um, how the research performed was originally done to understand how inner work life affects performance. So to help get our listeners up to speed, could you explain this concept of inner work life? Uh, sure. Inner work life is, is really the combination of emotions and perceptions and motivations that people experience every day at work as they, as they react to and try to make sense of the events that are happening at work all around them. So it's, it's, it's your emotional reactions, uh, positive or negative, your perceptions, which is really just your judgments, your impressions, your thoughts about your organization, your boss, your coworkers, the work you're doing, even your perceptions of yourself as an employee inside the organization, and it's your motivation. And we focus a lot in this study on intrinsic motivation, which is, passion for the work, uh, doing something because you're deeply interested in it, you feel positively challenged by it, you're really you're really engaged by the work. So that's, that's what we mean by inner work life. And, uh, and we studied it in, in what I think is a pretty unusual way. That's true. And in fact, it not only gave you valuable insights for your research, but it also gave you a unique way to present your findings 
and that is your approach to getting participants to use a daily diary where you ask them at the end of the day to write about what happened during that particular workday. And it was interesting when you shared some of the findings, some of the things people wrote, how without any um, direction, they're already providing you with that valuable information of how they perceived the situation, how someone's communication affected them emotionally, and how either people got motivated or unmotivated because of you know the response they would get or the things that were assigned to them. Right. We knew that if we, because we wanted to really get deeply inside people's hearts and minds at work, that we needed a, a, a very confidential way for them to tell us about their workday. And we wanted it to be in real time so that they weren't reconstructing things from memory. So we, we recruited over 200 different professionals working in a number of creative project teams inside a number of different organizations. We recruited them to tell us about their workday every day during the entire course of a project that they were working on. These projects all required creativity to be successful. That is, they all required something new and different. And the, the daily diary form that we sent them every day electronically um, did ask about their emotions for the day, their perceptions and their motivations. So, so we had these numerical scales that gave us a, kind of a reading, a, almost a temperature of their inner work life for the day. But by far the most interesting part was the open-ended responses that they wrote to the question that we asked, briefly describe one event from today that stands out in your mind that's in any way relevant to the work. And what you said is true, Tanvir. We didn't, we didn't ask them about creativity. We didn't ask them about their emotional reactions. We didn't tell them to focus on anything in particular. But what we found was that people often would describe an event that happened at work, and then they would tell us their reactions to it, even though we didn't ask for that. They would tell us what they thought about it. They would tell us how that affected them emotionally, uh, or they would tell us how it affected their motivation. So these, these event descriptions were incredibly rich and detailed in many cases, and that allowed us to make our discoveries. In speaking of discoveries and inner work life, one you discuss in your book is the strong correlation between positive inner work life and long-lasting performance. Could you shed some light on this finding from your research? We got a number of measures of performance on these individuals, and we found that inner work life significantly drives performance. Emotions, perceptions, and motivations all related to performance. We found that when people were feeling more positive emotions, when they had more positive perceptions of their organization, their bosses, their coworkers, and their work, and when they had stronger intrinsic motivation, they were more likely on those days to be more creative in their work, more productive, more committed to the work they were doing, and to be better colleagues to the people around them. So we found, for example, if you're in a better mood on, say, Monday, not only are you more likely to come up with creative ideas on Monday, you're also more likely to come up with creative ideas on Tuesday. Even, even after you take out the effect of Tuesday's mood, you still find this carryover effect on creative thinking from, from positive emotion, positive mood. So, uh, basically, 
people's inner work life has an enormous impact on how they're going to work, do their work day by day and how creatively productive they're going to be in the long run. So that's the, the first big discovery that we made in the research. This, of course, leads to the heart of your book, which is the progress principle. Um, so what is the progress principle, and how does it relate to the inner work life? Since inner work life is important, obviously, to the people who are experiencing it, and it's important to their performance, so it's important to the company, what affects inner work life? And our second big discovery was that of all the things that can uh, affect inner work life, the single most important was simply making progress on meaningful work. Uh, so what we found was that on 76% of people's best days at work, best inner work life days, they made some kind of progress. And that overwhelmed all the other kinds of events that could happen uh, on those days. Um, the dark side of it is that the single most important event uh, that will diminish in our work life is setbacks in the work. And they occurred on almost 67% of the day. So this is really the progress principle. Uh, simply making progress on meaningful work is crucial to having a, a good inner work life. Essentially, what it means is that what people want from their work is the opportunity to make a contribution to something of value and to feel that they're being efficacious. That, that, that really having an effect. Right. I mean, I have to tell you, I was delighted to read about how being able to do meaningful work, or what I've referred to on my blog as creating a sense of purpose in the work employees do, is critical to fostering a positive inner work life. Uh, you know, as I was reading your research and looking at the various examples you, you describe and discuss in your book, it becomes clear that creating meaningful work is not simply a nice thing to have, but is a necessary requirement if organizations are to encourage greater productivity and creativity within their workforce. That's absolutely true. What, what you call a sense of purpose is, I think, what, what we call meaningful work. And it's, it's that, you know, people have to feel, as Steve said, that they're contributing to something that they personally value. You know, we've been able to talk to a number of employees at Google over the past couple of years, and we know that many of those people find great meaning in the mission of Google, which is to organize all of the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Now that, that's a very meaningful mission for the people who work there. Uh, but, you know, a mission doesn't have to be quite that lofty in order for people to find meaning in their work. You know, it's great if you're doing that or if you're curing cancer or something like that. But we, we found that people doing, you know, much more mundane work can find real meaning and purpose in it, even if it's simply feeling that they are providing real value to customers, that they're somehow making their customers' lives better, making their customers' businesses better through what they produce, uh, providing a, a good service to customers, and sometimes the meaning that people get is feeling that they are supporting an organization that they're proud to be part of, that they're advancing the viability and the, the real success of their organization. And sometimes it's the, it's the level of the team. I really care about my coworkers. I feel like I'm part of a great team. And I want us to show this organization how great we are as a team. 
So people can find purpose in a number of ways. But if they don't, then making progress just doesn't matter that much. Now, Stephen, you mentioned when you were describing um, the progress principle, you were pointing out how as much as uh, making progress and meaningful work matters, there's also that dark side of how setbacks have a very pronounced negative impact on people's perceptions and their emotions and how they're motivated to do the job. So could you explain why leaders need to be mindful of these events and what they can do? Absolutely. Um, there's this effect in psychology now, uh, which is, is coming up in a number of things, that bad is stronger than good. And and we found that to be the case uh, with, with setbacks and uh, progress. The, the negative effect of setbacks is almost double the positive effect that progress has on inner work life. So setbacks just have a profoundly negative effect on inner work life. And obviously, as setbacks, they, they're also hurting progress. So it's a double whammy for the organization since uh, people will, be, uh, will tend to be less uh, productive when the uh, inner work life goes down. So it, it's particularly important for managers to really focus on removing the obstacles and the hassles, the little hassles that, that get in the way of people making progress every day and to make sure they're providing them with the resources they need, the help they need uh, to get the work done and to be successful. Right. And it's interesting, that point, because there's so much being written and discussed about failure, and there's just so much of a focus on that. And in your findings, what you found is that it's what's really the concern that should be for managers is to take note of concerns of there being a lack of support or the introduction of obstacles uh, others, either the managers themselves or coworkers, put in the way of their teammates to getting the work they need done. That's the bigger problem, more than whether uh, a process or a project encounters some form of failure. Absolutely. Uh, uh, that's absolutely right. And, and it happens throughout the organization. Uh, managers need to make sure that different teams, different units in the organization are coordinated, understand their roles, and are, are really supporting one another. And uh, the other thing uh, is that really in, in modern work, modern work is complicated, it's hard, and setbacks are inevitable. And what we found was that the best teams handled setbacks quite differently for, from poorer teams. The best teams invariably took a setback and turned it into an opportunity, a learning opportunity, a challenge, uh, but what, whereas the worst teams tended to punish failures. So, so the, the other half of it is to, to actually turn setbacks when they do occur and inevitably will into successes. Right, and we, we discovered a number of things that, that managers can do to catalyze progress Learning from problems and, and setbacks in the work is one of the most important. Uh, fundamentally, managers have to start by giving people clear, meaningful goals for the work that they're doing. We talked about meaning, sense of purpose, and how important that is. People need to know how their own individual work contributes to something that is valuable, something that they value. They also have to have clear goals for what it is they're, they're trying to accomplish, you know, at, at a larger scale for the entire organization, but even for each individual project. What is the goal for this project? 
at the same time, people have to feel that they've got autonomy in how to carry out the work so that they can use their creativity, they can use their talents, their own specific knowledge against uh, achieving that goal. And, and again, the best leaders, whether they're team leaders of a small team or C-level executives, the best leaders know how to, how to create that balance of clear goals and autonomy. Now, to Teresa, to touch on your point of how organizations and their leaders can create uh, meaningful work for their employees, there's also that risk of that very work losing its value or meaning as a result of those in charge, how they choose to respond or treat that effort over time. Uh, so what actions or behaviors should leaders be mindful of to ensure that they don't diminish how meaningful an assignment is to their employees? Well, yeah, there are unfortunately a number of ways that, that managers can kill meaning in the work. Uh, one of the most mundane, but it's really important, is to not provide sufficient resources for the work. So you can say that something's important, you know, you're valued, your work is valued by this organization, but if you don't give people at least sufficient resources and sufficient time, to, to apply creativity to the work, uh, they're going to get the message that the work isn't valued, that it, that it doesn't really matter. So we're not talking about lavish resources, but just at least sufficient basic resources so that people aren't constantly scrambling and using their creativity to get resources rather than actually to solve the problems that you want them to be solving. Uh, so, so that's key. Also, being open to ideas in the organization is important. Again, it's just lip service to say, you know, in a mission statement, you know, we are an innovative leader in our industry, and then to react harshly negatively to new ideas that, that might be a little bit unusual. You know, it's, you don't have to accept all new ideas, but you have to at least respect them. And I think that respect is, is probably, you know, one of, one of the most fundamental uh, ways of showing meaning and value in the work. It's just um, showing basic respect to people and, and recognition for good efforts uh, rather than um, making people feel that they're, that they sort of don't exist inside the organization or that their, their efforts are, are not recognized in any way. So those are, there are a number of others that we, that we cover in what we've written, but these are some of the most fundamental ways that managers can create meaning or, on the other hand, unwittingly kill me. There's an interesting point that came out of one of the surveys you did where you wanted to find out what managers thought was important to getting their employees motivated or driven to perform. While your research showed that managing progress has to be one of the things managers see as being a part of their responsibility or at least recognize as being the key to fostering productivity in their teams, the majority of managers you surveyed didn't view this as being necessary. Right, Andrea. We surveyed uh, almost 700 managers around the world, and we asked them what motivated people at work. And we, what we did was we asked them to rank order five different choices about motivators. And these are all real motivators, uh, motivators like recognition, tangible reward, interpersonal support, setting clear goals, and finally supporting progress in the work. And 
when these managers ranked order those, if managers truly understood the progress principle, they would have picked supporting progress in the work, number one, or maybe number two. Uh, as it turns out, they chose it dead last. Uh, in fact, only 5% of the managers chose supporting progress in the work. And even if they were just filling these things out randomly, by chance they should have gotten 20%. So they actively were choosing other things. In fact, they chose recognition number one, which we think is a very important motivator. But the interesting thing about recognition is there's nothing to recognize until you've already made progress. So progress really has to take precedence to recognition logically. And, of course, we found in our research that it does. One of the most surprising things that we found with the progress principle is that it doesn't have to be a huge breakthrough to make people feel great, to have great inner work life. We found this effect for small wins, seemingly incremental, almost trivial steps forward in the work. So we had a programmer in one of the high-tech firms that we studied who, who had been struggling with a bug in some software he was creating. He'd been struggling with this for, for a couple of days. And the day that he fixed that bug, he was just inordinately happy and proud and highly intrinsically motivated by the work itself. And, you know, he said, you know, this may not be an event to you guys, but I live a very drab life, so I'm all hyped. And and the thing is that's interesting, we saw this in many people. It wasn't just this one guy. Very often something that seemed like just a small step forward would lead people to be as happy as they were on those very rare days where there was a really large accomplishment that they or their team made or or a huge breakthrough. And that's good news because small wins are a a whole lot more common than huge breakthroughs. Unfortunately, the downside is really negative. Uh, Small losses, hassles in the work that, that serve as obstacles to making progress can make people actually feel even worse then small wins can make people feel good. And, and you know, that was one of the most affirming findings, I think, that you share in your book, that, you know, managers don't feel like they have to create, like you said earlier, these lofty goals that they have to help their team achieve, but rather tying in what we're discussing, they really have to help remove obstacles and facilitate their team's ability to make progress in something that's meaningful to them, it's meaningful to their organization, for them to feel like, at the end of the day, what I'm doing matters. Kendra, that, that is one of the most important points. And you use the phrase, at the end of the day. We actually recommend that managers help themselves to keep progress on their mental agenda by using a daily discipline at the end of their day with something that we call the daily progress checklist. And that's a very simple exercise. It shouldn't take more than about five minutes a day, but it focuses the manager or the leader on what progress his or her people made that day. Now, did they move forward on their most important work? Or was the day really occupied with all kinds of unrelated demands? And, you know, what obstacles were standing in the way of people being able to do that most important work? And identifying just one thing that manager can do the next day to try to facilitate more progress in in the most important, most meaningful work. And a little bit of, of research that we've done on this so far suggests that the best team leaders, the best managers, 
are people who naturally do that every day. They, they, they are in close enough touch with their immediate subordinates that they know what's happening. They know what progress is being made. And they know what setbacks are, are happening. And they're able to take some actions. Again, even if it's just something small, it can make a big difference. Now, in addition to making progress and meaningful work, your research has revealed two other key influencers on inner work life what you refer to as the catalyst factor and the nourishment factor. So to start off, could you tell us more about the catalyst factor and what kind of actions that would serve as catalysts to fuel an individual's inner work life? The catalysts are anything, any actions that managers can take or coworkers can take that will directly support progress in the work. We've actually already mentioned a number of these, setting clear and meaningful goals for the project allowing people autonomy in how to do the work, providing sufficient resources, uh, helping with the work, making sure people do have help with, with technically difficult work, learning from problems, having a psychologically safe atmosphere where people feel that they can admit to mistakes, to failures of experiments, and talk to others about it, and, and having that, that open flow of ideas. And, and actually giving people enough time is an important catalyst as well. Again, not, you know, take all the time in the world for something, but we found that low to moderate time pressure seems to be the, the ideal time pressure typically for creative productivity. So each of those catalysts, of course, has a negative, which is an inhibitor to progress. And um, you can imagine these things are like micromanaging people, um, starving resources, giving people impossibly tight deadlines, um, not I- allowing ideas to flow freely inside the organization. Those kinds of things can be really negative. So there are very specific actions that managers can take or, on the other hand, avoid taking uh, the inhibitors or try to dampen the inhibitors as much as possible that can support progress. And, and I'll let Steve go through the nourishers which are more directly relevant to supporting inner work life itself. Right. As Teresa just said, uh, the nourishers directly support the people who are doing the work. So they will boost inner work life, which indirectly will have a positive effect on progress. And, And we identified seven nourishers. They include things like respect, including recognition for good work, but showing people respect. Uh, providing them with encouragement, giving them emotional support when they need it, providing an environment that is uh, that is friendly and, and uh, do, helps to develop bonds between workers. There's an interesting thing, uh, which I don't think Teresa mentioned when she was talking about the catalyst, which was um, that the catalyst can actually have a direct effect on inner work life as well. So, for instance... If you, if you know you're going to get a, a resource, a new resource like a, a new computer to do your work or whatever, it can actually boost your inner work life even before it helps you make progress, even before you receive it, because it tells you that the work you're doing is valued by the organization. And so, so in a sense, some of the catalysts can also be viewed as nourishers. Well, that ties into one of the interesting elements you mentioned about catalysts in your book. And that is that they have a far greater impact when they come from direct supervisors or coworkers, uh, as opposed to when it comes from senior level management. Yeah, this was one of the most interesting findings we got. 
people at the local level can can have a stronger impact than people at the larger organizational level if the two climates are not consonant with each other. So we found that there were some instances where the overall organizational climate was pretty negative, but individual team leaders and teams were sometimes able to create a kind of an oasis of catalysts and nourishers for each other that in large part supported both their their daily progress and their daily inner work life. Uh, I don't think that something like that is sustainable for a long time. In fact, it, it causes a lot of strain and tension to try to create these OACs in, in a hostile desert of an organization. But it is possible for people to do that at, at the local level. Obviously, it's far better if higher-level organizational support is there in terms of the catalyst and the nourishers, as well as as well as local level support. And certainly when something comes from a high level, um, a pronouncement, a visit, something like that, it really does have a big impact on people. But it's just much more rare than the day-by-day interactions that coworkers have with each other and that a, a, an immediate team leader, an immediate supervisor has. So this is, catalysts and nurtures are things that people can provide to each other as coworkers. It doesn't all have to come from management. Absolutely. And I think it also helps to counter the notion uh, that the key to business is to keep things impersonal and that if organizations really want to tap into their potential to be successful, they need to be more open about embracing a more human approach to workplace interactions. Well, that's certainly true. It's clear from reading your book that a manager's key function really has to be to not only encourage and support progress, but progress in work that's meaningful to those involved. So do you have any final thoughts on how organizations and even employees can help to create this shift to recognizing the importance managing progress has on an organization's ability to thrive and succeed? There was a great book published a couple of years ago by Atul Gawande called The Checklist Manifesto. And that book is, is, is kind of a touchstone for us in our own research because it showed in, with really solid research that simply keeping something on people's mental agenda can make a difference for how well they're going to perform. In that book, uh, Gwande and his research team showed that helping surgeons to think about very basic steps that they need to follow with doing safe surgery help to improve outcomes enormously. So doing very simple things like uh, all agreeing before surgery that everyone knows what side of the body they're operating on or before closing the incision at the end of the surgery to make sure that all the instruments and sponges that should come out of the body have come out of the body. We think that there's an analog for this. So Gawande and his team found that there's a 37% reduction in major complications with surgical teams that actually force themselves to use this checklist and a 47% reduction in mortality due to surgical accidents. So we think that, you know, management is complicated enough that simply spending a few minutes a day thinking about Do my people understand the meaning behind what they're doing? Do they understand the importance of the work they're doing, how what they're doing does contribute to the larger mission? 
and spending a few minutes a day thinking about what people need to make progress in the work and to be sure that they know they're respected and appreciated for the work that they're doing. Just keeping that on the mental agenda, I think, can have a huge impact both for the people at work and for the organizations. This will improve the well-being of people in the workplace and it will improve organizational performance in the long run. And by the way, I think this will also improve managers' lives as well because they will feel much more effective in what they're doing. I love that example. And I agree with you that it's an important lesson that managers can apply in their position as well. Again, Teresa and Stephen, I have to tell you how much I enjoyed reading your book. It certainly has proved to be one of my favorite reads of the year, and I do appreciate your taking the time to sit down and discuss some of the ideas and findings you share in your book. Our pleasure, Canvier. Thank you. Thank you. I've been talking with Teresa Mabale and Stephen Kramer about the research findings they share in their new book, The Progress Principle. To learn more about where you can buy their book, check out the links featured on this episode's page on my website at tamirnasir.com. And that concludes this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to sharing with you more conversations with business leaders, writers, and thinkers about the challenges and opportunities found in today's workplace. Until then, this is Tavernasir. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you.